When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have what is truly our penultimate summer edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly conversation where we break down the many results on the pro tour produced by the countless players with college tennis ties out there competing, of course. You look at the past week of results, you see a lot of form. Former college players out there still competing on tour, but that's the key word, former players, as a lot of the current guys, current gals, they're back at school. They're getting ready for another college tennis season to begin. Of course, we here at Crack Rackets are slowly but surely gearing up to cover the 2023-24 season. That said, before we do formally turn the page, we're going to give it this week, one more week next week of results. Maybe we'll find a way, not maybe, we will find a way to work in some sort of episode talking about the former players, how they're doing on the pros moving forward, because I've liked having this show in our rotation. But again, this is the penultimate edition. We'll do one more next week. Why is that the case? It's because we have our first college tennis coverage of the season, not this weekend, but coming up the following weekend. Of course, we will have some college players in action this weekend at the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event, which you can watch Friday, Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. But then we have our first fall event on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel the subsequent weekend. It's going to be four fun teams competing. I don't know if I'm formally allowed to announce what it is yet. As soon as I am, I promise I will. But again, as we get ready to turn the page towards that season, we'll turn the page here on this podcast. We're dangerously close to our preseason top 10 unveiling, and we haven't had that call yet, but it's on the horizon. I've started to look at rosters. I'm I'm just getting shakes at night, getting excited, a little nervous, apprehensive, all the best feelings as we turn the page towards another college tennis season. That said, penultimate summer edition of The Deciding Point today, and joining me, as he always has, is a man who has been busy this summer. Of course, you all know him best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets show, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast. Of course, not the best go-kart racer, but always near and dear to our heart. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Are you ready for the college tennis season to begin, my friend? I'm ready. It it took a while to sink in once we had the preseason rankings come out. I had to like dip my feet in a little bit, but you know, you're starting to see the tweets come out, the random tournaments here and there. It's all starting. It's all happening. So I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, and I saw your podcast recently came out. I haven't listened to it yet, but you talked about some of the rankings, some of the faces college tennis fans will become familiar with in the upcoming season. And so I know you're busy on the podcast front. Again, everyone can go follow, like, subscribe, wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out the Instagram account as well. I know what to plug, Jay. I've worked my way into primetime season form here uh, as we've worked through the summer. But again, for those of you who may be new to this podcast, what we do, run through through the results at the various levels of the game. How did players with college tennis ties perform throughout the course of the week? We also like to break down the latest news from the college tennis world, but the latest news surrounds Ben Shelton and the winners we had at the U.S. Open. So we can get right into results here to start today's show. Let's start on the Ben side of things because, look, we got to cover Ben's rise from the start here at Cracked Rackets, whether it was, you know, him rising uh, his freshman season, playing five on what was a very special Florida team and winning the team national title. I don't know if people know this, but his father, Brian, was the head coach of that team. That's a detail that's often left out. And if you can't detect the sarcasm in that, you really are new to this show. Uh, From there, obviously, the summer of Shelton, wins the Champagne Futures, finals Kalamazoo, wins the ITA All-American, defends that number one ranking damn well as he and his Florida Gators, the number two seeds at the NCAA tournament, upset by eventual champions Virginia in the quarterfinals, a match we will always remember fondly. But of course, from there, Ben goes on to win the NCAA singles titles. Uh, title, excuse me, has all sorts of challenger success right out of the gates, you know, running up to the top 100, the breakthrough moment where he makes the quarterfinals in Australia and it just feels like all systems go. Then it wasn't. You know, he only won consecutive matches at three events this season. The U.S. Open, a quarterfinal at a challenger event in Cagliari, and then the U.S. Open, where obviously he does the miraculous beats, not just two top 15 players, but Two American peers in Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, consecutive rounds. Obviously got under Djokovic's skin enough that Djokovic felt the need to send a little message after closing out that straight set win with the hang-up of the phone, Ben mocking celebration, uh, mocking Ben, excuse me, celebration. But Ben's through to the semifinals, regardless of whatever else uh, happened this season. He made the quarterfinals of multiple majors. I said these stats on NCR. You know, again, uh, according to Opta Ace, there are six guys who have won 10 matches at the Slams in a single season before the age of 21. The list is jaw-dropping. Sampras, slam champion. Agassi, slam champion. Courier, slam champion. Chang, slam champion. Roddick, slam champion. The sixth guy is now Ben Shelton. And I didn't cite you properly on another stat I mentioned at NCR. I'll leave that to you now. But, I mean, you look at the live rankings with this result. Ben Shelton currently sitting at 19 in the live rankings. That's a career high. He's 17th in the points race pretty much off two ridiculous results. And here's the biggest news. He's headed to the next-gen finals. And that may not matter in the big-picture thing, but you look in the immediate, what does that say about him? He is one of the eight best 21-and-under players in the world. He has the third most points behind just Elkaraz and Runa, who have been top 10 players for the majority of the season. He passed Musetti. He passed in Arthur Fee. And again, it still feels like we're just scratching the surface of where Ben can go from here 
What'd you take away from this run? What'd you take away from this storyline as it relates to college tennis? What other stats do you want to present as we reflect on this Ben, another miraculous moment from Ben? Yeah, well, there was certainly a lot of Ben Shelton discourse over the past week, week and a half. And, uh, you know, it's a discourse you and I have uh, been fortunate to partake in over pioneered. We've pioneered this few years. I think. Uh, no, you know who really pioneered it was the person that told you that uh, Ben Shelton was Denis Shapovalov and going to be in the you know you told that story so many times, but you were not on, you were not on the on the bandwagon. But look, no one expected this to happen this quickly, and the reason for that is because you almost have never seen this in the history of tennis, where someone comes from college and makes this sort of ascent this quickly. You have to go back to McEnroe. The last time an NCAA men's singles champion made a Grand Slam semifinal, McEnroe, nineteen ninety two Wimbledon in the league stages of his career ben shelton now the only former college tennis player who has made a slam semifinal this uh, century joining isner and anderson on the men's side so he's in very very rare company this does not happen often and i think the big takeaway for me is a lot of the discourse around ben to me was overinflated and too much emphasis was put on the middle half of his season, which let's not forget happens on clay and grass, two surfaces that Ben has really never played on. And there was so much happening for 20, 19 year old, 20 year old Ben Shelton making that meteoric rise at the Australian Open, signing with on and, and teammate and Roger Federer becoming an acquaintance now and Look, a lot hit him very quickly and a lot quicker than anyone expected would happen. It's a lot to take on as you're traveling and going to countries for the first time. So, I mean, who cares about this French results or his results on clay or his results on grass? You can't look at his results at the U.S. Open and say this isn't someone who's going to be really tough to beat on grass in the years to come. And the last thing, and we saw this in college, is Ben is a primetime player. Ben loves the crowd. He's charismatic. He's energetic. I always thought one of the best things to happen for college tennis would be for Ben Shelton to ascend to where he is today. And I think you saw that encapsulate extremely well at the U.S. Open. Yeah. You know, the energy he plays with, it's college tennis energy that we know well in this world. And it just raises the stakes for everyone. It makes the scene feel important. And look, when you talk smack, eventually someone's going to talk back. That's what Novak did. Ben's aware of that. You heard in the quote, you know, mockery is the most sincere form of flattery. That's how you have to take it. That is how Ben takes it. He knows what he's doing out there. And to have that sort of confidence in self and to just be so firm in who you are and your convictions at 20 years old, it's so admirable. It's what makes him so enjoyable. But there is a piece there I want to just follow up on because you look for modern comparisons. And I just do think it is worth noting. You look for Isner. And he, it was a little different than Ben because Ben did it, obviously, challengers and then the slams. For John, he comes right out of college. He finals the City Open that summer of 07. He's into the top 100 in under a year. So, you know, again, he does that. You look for Samdev Devarman, two-time NCAA champion. He leaves college, what, I want to say 09 was his last season, was that first year for Shabazz. Um, he leaves in, oh, no, 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 
not 09. Yep. He leaves in 08. 08, 08 yeah. excuse me. He cracked the top 100 for the first time August 2010. So it took him a year and a half. You look for Stevie. He cracked the top 100 for the first time exactly one year later, June of 2013. But he wasn't consistently a top 100 player until April 2014. So it took him about 18 months We have seen the best of college tennis go from the college ranks and make the top 100 within within a year time span. We've seen that before. But to your point and what I wanted to emphasize by bringing up those prior examples, we haven't seen quarters and semis of a major in your first five slams played. We haven't seen I'm now a top 30 guy in the world. And yes, there's still a lot of backing that up that Ben has to do. But come on. I mean, just talk about special results and you have that as a headliner. It just makes you buy into more of the fact, well, well, don't forget, Hijikata is now top 85, Goyo's top 85, and the college pathway just is that realistic. And right now you look at the numbers, I think it's 15 men in the top 100, five women in the top 100 with college tennis ties. You look at the doubles, I think it's like 36 on the men's side. And I think it's either 16 or 17 on the women's side, top 100 doubles players. Obviously we'll get into those doubles results here in a second, but you don't have to make anecdotal arguments anymore. You can make statistical arguments for why college tennis is a beneficial and dare I say, you know, again, uh, just uh, the right pathway for so many to take. Um, And this is just another significant data point. And of course, with Ben, I like, I want to talk about his game and what we, I'm curious what you think he needs to improve moving forward in a second, but you look like you have a response. Well, I was going to say, I think for so long, college tennis could have dismissed when Someone like Isner, even Kevin Anderson making it because it was like, well, yeah, of course they needed more time to develop their game because they're 6'10, they're 6'11. They needed that time to develop physically in college. But now you're starting to see a lot of different profile of couldn't be more different than a John Isner in terms of play style and physicality. And and he's having so much success. So I think that's one of the other awesome things that we're starting to see in terms of players who are having success. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And look, Ben's still 20, like much like an Isner, like an Anderson. He's 6'4", 6'5". Yes, he's fit. Yes, he's strong already. He's still grown into his body. He's still got to figure out how to maneuver all the different things. And I mean, I'm curious, what is the next step in his game? What do you want to see? Because obviously this year's a win. And it was funny. I was joking around with my brothers this weekend It's uh, because obviously Nick Brad, who was around as well, youngest cousin's bat mitzvah. Shout out to Julia. She's gotten a lot of shout outs uh, because it brought the fam together. We were joking, you know, again, what if you had to pay one of your siblings or someone in your family the way, you know, Ben kind of has to pay Brian, right? He's the coach now. Like, that's how it's going to work. And it's funny. It's like, don't worry, Dad, I can pay you this year. Like, we're good. Like, we have the money. Yes, you got the Florida check already uh, from earlier this season, but we made the money this year, which, again, is what it really is all about. Um, Where do you think Ben's tennis goes from here? What do you want to see from him in 2024? Well, I mean, the first thing is consistency, right? And I think developing more on clay and grass is certainly what you're looking to see. I think what's interesting, uh, a quote that sticks out to me from Mike Cation is one of the things that he saw when players were coming from college to the ATP challenger level was that 
they weren't used to having to do it day after day after day. When you're in college, you might need to get up and play for a weekend. You're doing an SEC road trip and you need to show up Friday and Sunday. But what if you have to show up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, right? And what if you have to show up twice in a day because of a rain delay? And so those are the sort of things that you're looking for from Ben week in, week out. How do you bring this intensity? And even what we're seeing in these slams, he's getting a day off in between. So what happens when you don't have a day? Carry that emotional energy day in, day out. So that's the first thing I think is on the consistency. That's a little bit uh, less about the actual game, but I think as he matures into being a professional uh, on the tour, that's what you'll have to do. Uh, game style wise, I think his dad, his coach has talked about thinking about his serve as, as a pitcher in baseball, right? How do you pitch different games? Not just always the fastball. We saw that he has that, uh, but being smarter about the serve. And then I also think he needs to be a lot more comfortable coming to net. He's fine at net, but I think doesn't always make the smartest decisions uh, in terms of when he does come in or in terms of the shots that he's making at net. Look, I mean, Ben is a flashy player as well. So it's calibrating the flashiness with the smart plays. Um, and that will come with time. So those are the three things that stick out to me. Yeah, look, we can pick on the forehand technique. I agree with a lot of what you said, by the way. And, you know, that forehand when pressured by pace, we saw all year long, it can be a problem for him. I did like what I saw level-wise on the clay. I know the results weren't there, but he does have a little bit more time to swing through that forehand. I think he drives through the backhand well, again, when it's not jamming him because that backswing does get a little deep and played a little close to his body. No one loves to try and hit the flashy backhand inside-out drop shot volley more than Ben moving forward. And again, you mentioned it. His hands are good enough that he can pull it off. Like, he has that in his bag. He's got an immense bag of things that he can do on a tennis court to make opponents uncomfortable. The return of serve is an issue. And again, on Arthur Ashe, where he was fortunate enough to play a bunch of matches, you can stand 12 feet behind the baseline, get away with that return of serve, and he has the strength that if he gets a clean cut, doesn't have to worry about the depth of shot. I will say this till I'm blue in the face. The slice looks way worse on TV than it does in person. It's much more effective than you think. I know it looks like it floats on TV. It stays much lower than you think on that backhand side. You're right. It's calibrating what shots he wants to hit when. And to say that about a 20-year-old, like that's the highest compliment you can offer. And look, we have long been positive on Ben, but he made the semi-freaking finals of the U.S. Open. He's what, fifth guy? Was it fifth NCAA champ to do that? It was Pernfors, McEnroe, Mayotte. Come on, Alex, you can do this. Who's the fifth? Pernfors, McEnroe, Mayotte. Oh, I know this. Can you give me a school? Texas. Oh, 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 oh my God. I can see his name. I'm disrespecting him so poorly right now. I apologize so sincerely. Give me the name. I'm blanking. Kevin Curran. Yeah, Kevin. I apologize, Mr. Curran. That's on me. I knew that one. It was on the tip of my tongue. Add Ben to the list. That's the biggest news from a singles perspective. Now, on the double side of things, we were monitoring. It had been four consecutive majors that a player with college tennis ties had won a men's doubles title. Let's make it a five-peat in the midst of a three-peat. 
as Rajiv Ram, Joe Salisbury capture the title for the third consecutive season. Now, they were not the only doubles players with college ties who had success. And I mentioned on the men's side, we got 36 college tennis players, in uh, former college tennis players inside the top 100. Guys like Lamons, Withrow, Galloway, who had particularly breakout moments at this event, you feel to give a shout out to on the men's side, on the women's side of things. Again, you, you got to give a shout out. And look, they lost a three set match in Cleveland, eventual cha- uh, U.S. Open champions, Gabriela Dabrowski, Aaron Rutliff. It was brutal. Like, there was not a lot of love. After the match, the fashion that they had lost it, the thread, they just kind of lost it down the home stretch of the third set breaker. To see them go from that loss to winning the U.S. Open women's doubles title. I think it's the first time in my life I've talked women's doubles with my older brother. And like, it was a serious conversation because he was in Cleveland. He was like, dude, I was monitoring them. I couldn't believe it. Like they just kept winning. And, you know, again, three sets in the quarters, uh, straight sets in the semis and finals. <laughs> Gabriela Dabrowski, Aaron Rutliff, your champions. Now, obviously, Aaron Rutliff, two-time NCAA doubles champion while at Alabama. Her, Maya Jensen, back-to-back champions. I believe the last pairing to do so. You had Jennifer Brady, uh, Louisa Stefani reaching the semifinals of the event. You had, uh, I think those were your only other doubles players making the quarterfinals or further here. But again, Aaron Rutliff winning the women's doubles title. And then, you know, last but certainly not least, two college tennis players in the mixed doubles final. Austin Krejcik, number one seed with Jesse Pagula. They're knocked out in the final by Hari Heliovara. And Anna Delanina, uh, uh, Delina, excuse me, who, of course, former standout All-American while at Florida. You know, you had Shibahara, you had Ben Shelton in the semifinals of this event as well. We can say it till we're blue in the face, Jay. If you want to be a successful doubles player in the pro circuit, the numbers say go to college. What do you make of all these results? Well, it's fantastic, and it caps what has been just a continued rise of former college players in doubles. I mean, so many of these players who are fantastic singles players who don't go to college don't ever really learn how to play doubles, right? They do not really practice the skills that are a professional doubles player, but in college, you do learn that there's so much emphasis on doubles, regardless of the format, right? People know how important the doubles point is and how cool to see Aaron Rutliff, you know, as you mentioned, one of the only two-time champions that we've had in college now become the only player in history to win a NCAA women's doubles title and a slam women's doubles title. Super special uh, to see her, and, uh, you know, achieve that milestone. I don't expect she will be the last, um, but they're everywhere. They really are everywhere. Um, so it's been awesome to see. Yeah. I mean, again, just look at the rankings, 36 on the men's side in the top 100. You look for the women's side right now, and I want to get this number exactly right. It is currently, yeah, 16 on the women's side inside the top 100, top 20 players in Rutliff, Shibahara, Krejcik, and Stefani. That's obviously the tour-level action we saw last week. I want to rapid-fire through the challengers, Jay, and stay on this doubles theme because, you know, we've talked about the rise of Connie Franson a lot of late, and he was in another quarterfinal uh, this past week. But 
Listen to these champions. Gio Ordani, who gets his first title at the challenger level, I believe, in doubles. May not be his first. Nope, you're shaking your head. It is. Let's go. It, uh, it he, is. Yeah, he, Lorenzo Rattoli, taking the title in Genoa. You look over uh, in... Where was the other title? I apologize. I'm blanking, but we did have another title. I'm scrolling. Oh, Blas Rolla, another title. Uh, he got his in Austria this past week. And I will say to my dying breath, him, Chase Buchanan, is the best college tennis doubles team I have ever seen um, in person. And there, I remember watching them play. I went up to Ann Arbor to go see it. it I was like, yep, in. Um, anyways, very good team. Um, and they won, what, the Triple Crown, right? They were the last to do it, winning All-Americans, Fall Nats, NCAA, so the numbers speak for themselves. Blas Rolla, another doubles title. Skander Mansouri, a doubles title. He got his in Istanbul. Uh, J.P. Smith, a semifinalist at that event. Everywhere. They're everywhere, Jay. Those were the, the challenger results I wanted to start with. Any other doubles threads you want me to move on? No, I think that's it on the doubles. You know, I will be curious to see if Blasrola focuses more on doubles. Uh, you know, he, as you mentioned, had such a successful career in college, has won a lot of doubles titles in his pro career. But, you know, he's in his 30s now, and I'm curious if this will be a focus for him moving forward. Yeah, and other guys lost in with another quarterfinals. Obviously, we've seen him there. Nick Chappell uh, reached a quarterfinal this past week at the challenger level in doubles. So just another name and you know, I think even in that event with, oh, no, uh, Rolla was the only one, what was it, in Istanbul? Yeah, I said J.P. Smith. I mentioned already a semifinalist there. And then uh, Hunter Reese, Charlie Broom, both quarterfinalists as well. Uh, so plenty of double success. On the single side, it was a little bit more limited, but just some rapid-fire results to run you through. Hattie Habib as a qualifier. He wins a first-round match uh, at that challenger in Italy as well. You look in Shanghai, Alafiaini, Nick Chapel. They fly over there. They qualify into the main draw, though both knocked out in the opening round. You had Henry Squire, who I feel like we've mentioned once or twice, or at least I've mentioned once or twice throughout the course of this summer, he's currently sitting at a new career high, 264 in the rankings after he reaches another challenger quarterfinal. You had Johannes Monday earning a win uh, at the challenger in uh, Istanbul. Uh, and then your other singles result, Charlie Broom qualifying. He gets a win uh, as well this week. Any additional thoughts on the challenger rapid fire? All right. Well, with that said, then let's move over to the ITF level. Jay, what stood out to you most? Let's start on the women's side. A little quieter on the women's side, yeah. I felt like. Um, you know, Ariane Because they were all winning the, the doubles. They were all busy. <laughs> yeah. They were busy, uh, but Ariane Hartono, formerly of Ole Miss, 2018 NCAA singles champion, uh, she made the quarterfinals of the 100K in Tokyo. Uh, you had my Sawanka. She also just Oklahoma. quickly also won a match this week already at a 125k event, which she's playing in. So nice to see that success translate as well. Yeah, she's and she's I think sitting a little bit below her career high, which is right around yeah. 130. She's probably in the 150s right now. Has played a but, ton of ITF matches to build that ranking back up, Jay. Yeah, uh, and yeah, she's just trying to break through right into yeah. that top 100, kind of be consistently into the slams, not have to go through qualifying. Um, and then we had a few semifinals at the 25K level. So my Sawanka, who we've talked about, formerly of Oklahoma State, uh, made the 25K semifinals in um, 
in Thailand, I believe, and then Ashley Leahy as well, a former player of Pepperdine, the semifinals of the 25K in Spain. And then lastly, uh, Lisa Czar made the 25K quarterfinals in the Czech Republic. I am curious. She does have an extra year of eligibility, but she is not on the ranking. She's not on the roster. She did have a – I think she had a senior day, so – not sure if we'll see Lisa Zar back in Malibu uh, as she begins her pro career. But those are the names I had on the women's side. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, I always, Yudis Chung won a match at that 100K. And I, you know, I love the Yudis Chung story. I, course, <laughs> yeah. yeah, always going to give Yudis Chung shout out. Uh, so that would be one I'd mention. Yeah, you mentioned the fleet of Pepperdine results. Leahy in the semifinals of a 25K. Czar uh, in the quarterfinals. And that's the first time I've seen her name in a while. So you know, again, she can play the fall pro event, see how she does. Maybe I'm back to Pepperdine. We, I haven't heard anything. We'll keep you updated on that story. I would also add for Leahy, uh, her, Kimmy Hans make the finals and doubles of that same event. They're knocked out 10-8 in the third. But, you know, we saw Kimmy Hans win, what, two titles, I want to say, in the SoCal Pro Circuit earlier this summer in doubles, at least the one with Fung Run. Uh, no, just the one, but she won one last summer. That's what it was with McKenna Jones as well. So, you know, again... It's an interesting group at UCLA. I wonder if they're going to crack our top tens. We'll have to keep an eye out on it. Um, Jay is raising his eyebrows at me. We'll save that for, uh, I suppose, a future conversation. Other results I had circled, a Maria Mateus quarterfinal at a 40K. You know, again, doesn't feel insignificant. Her, Graceman, yeah. make the semifinals in doubles there as well. And then I had a Daria Formerly Kutzer. of Duke. Yes, thank you. And Maria then I Mateus. had Daria Kutzer just left Tennessee quarterfinals at an event in doubles. But, you know, again, I'm a Daria Kutzer fan till the end. So had to give her a shout out there. Yeah, other than that, I thought it was a pretty quiet week on the women's side. A little less so on the men's side. And it starts with the Segerman double. I think that's where we have to begin. And just Monastir in general, where shout out to Monastir, 25K, 15K events simultaneously. We'll figure out how to do that here in the States at some point. Um, let's start at the 25K level. The Segerman sweep wins the singles title, straight sets in the semis and finals for what it's worth. Abdullah Shelby, uh, semifinalist there as well. And then he and Patrick Trehak can continue to rock and roll another doubles title for them they're up to 523 or at least Segerman is now in the rankings and you look for Segerman he and Trahak seven titles since they've left college together lol um talk to me about the the Segerman sweep I mean it's ridiculous how many doubles titles they've won I I mean, it's particularly because doubles, I mean, you're just sometimes it can be a total crapshoot playing some of these guys come out with big serves. You know, you just never know your partner's not feeling well. I mean, to have this level of consistency at any level is really impressive to have this level of consistency at the pro level and continuing to move up in the world. Right. They've now done this at the 25K level a few different times. So Segerman is clearly playing very well. It's Seems like his serve is working very well for him. But yeah, this is his first pro singles title uh, as well. So carrying that confidence from the doubles into singles, he hadn't been able to do that over the past few tournaments that he's played. So uh, a really big, big win. And, and the field was strong. You mentioned Abdullah Shelby, uh, formerly of Florida, having a, a fairly successful rise on the pro tour, was top seeded in that draw. So really impressive results from Segerman. Yeah, I'm tweeting it out as soon as we're done recording this show, Jay. He's 30-1 and one in doubles. 
since leaving college. Now Trahak is thirty two and uh thirty one and two, so he's four ninety six. He played an event without Ryan, but thirty and one. Seven titles. What are we yeah. doing? Well, what was UNC doing is the question. I mean, like, where was this? Well, he and uh didn't they make the all American finals? He and uh Cernok? And then they split them up to try. And uh, there were a lot of injuries during the year as well. There's a lot of things for that UNC team. I got a lot of thoughts. I, I know, but I mean, Trahawk is a very is a strong doubles player. Uh, but he played six singles for a Utah team that didn't make the round of 16. Yeah, but lost I mean, to UNC in the round of 32. Let the record reflect. A UNC team who then lost their next match to Texas. Oh, uh, yeah, it like... So yeah, they had him at that's right. They had him with one at K, with Casey Kanya, and then they split Cernok and they had Cernok with um, uh, Ben Kidde. Yeah. Wow. Spread the love. Yeah. Um I mean, again, see, this is this. Is, yeah. I, I, you go on enough tangents. I get this one. Please. One of the problems with college tennis right now, <laughs> when it comes to doubles, is the teams in the NCAA doubles field are not the school's best doubles teams because you're trying to win a doubles point throughout the spring season, which often means like if you're UNC, your best doubles team is Brian Cernok and and Ryan Segerman, but you split them up. You have them one and two doubles. And so I feel like the tournament would be so much better served if there was a way to just say like, Hey, UNC, you get a berth. Who's playing? That's great. It's second. Or by ranking, you get two berths because you had two of the top teams. So you get to pick who's go- competing in that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's very it interesting. Just, I mean, it 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 typically means it's just it's you lose out on this, right? You yeah. lose out on um Well, I would have loved to see Luchonic and Cash play together, just how they would have blended, but like you split them up. And by the way, Trotter and Luchonic played two. And they were the NCAA doubles champions. And that speaks to how good that Ohio, you know, and there were days when Kingsley and Tracy were the best doubles team. Like, again, you're right. I like this delegated by spots. And, yeah, it's fascinating. It, it It's an interesting threat um, because you're right. By the end, sometimes the pairings are so contorted, you don't see the teams you either saw in the fall or certainly the teams you could imagine might be the best pairings if presented. So, that's a, that's a fascinating tangent, Jay. I like that one. It's one for the competition committee uh, to perhaps ponder moving forward. We'll put it on the list. We talked about the Segerman sweep at the 25K level. How about at the 15K yeah, in Monastir? You had Banerjee in the doubles final. You had Fabian Sale winning the title in singles. Any, anything else I'm missing from Monastir? Any other notable results there? Any thoughts on the Sale title? Well, it's exciting to see Fabian Sale, you know, who did the one of the more unusual transfers that we've seen in college tennis, go from Louisville to Arizona State, back to Louisville. Uh, great to see him have his first pro singles title. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what he does out there on tour. Yeah. All right. Anything else you have notable? I have a bunch of rapid fire, but am I missing any big ones? Well, those were the two titles. So I'm curious to see who's on your rapid fire and, and we'll see if we have the same. All right. Crawford, final, 25K. I mean, again, OC keeps grinding. What's he currently sitting at at the rankings? I want to say something top 300. Yeah, 286, like in strike zone. Well, this is the definition of grinding. I mean, he went to Rwanda to play this tournament. Uh, so he's really putting in the the mileage to get these points. 
Yeah, at that same event, Guy Aradakunda, uh, who I believe was at Florida State, if my memory serves me correct, um, he he gets knocked out. Him and Abraham Asaba knocked out, in, and who I think is another guy, uh, knocked out in the finals of the doubles, excuse me, at this event. Sid Banthia, a semifinalist, Rashad Bagarol, Nick Bible, semifinalists as well. That continues the rapid fire. Henry Roca. Oh, no, we missed a title. I Excuse me. Johannes Inglitsen. I forgot to move you up. Doubles title again for the former Florida Gator. He, Fred Simonson, uh, Simonson winning the title at a 25K in Sintra. Um, and just put the finger up, I suppose. We, we might be having a little technical difficulties on this side. So every so often you do freeze up on me. Leave that in, Westoff, just so the listeners know. If you, if you want to jump in, let me – to stop the rapid fire, put the finger up, Jay. Anyways, leave that in. We move on at that singles event. Trey Hildebrand, Duarte Valle, uh, Sebastian Faneslo. Uh, Faneslo is a semifinalist, uh, as is Henrik Roca. You had Duarte Valle, Trey Hildebrand as quarterfinalists in singles. Uh, at that event, you look at one of my favorite runs of the week in Hong Kong. Oh, fingers up. Wait, isn't that the 25K in France? Did I miss it? I Maybe. I might I might have screwed up oh. my tabs. Oh, well, won by Michael Gertz, formerly of Arizona. Yes. State. Um, so good. I did miss a title. There we go. There's another, <laughs> yeah, there, there's another big title. Yeah, there's run. a title. Yeah. Yes. Henrik Wiedersholm. He's back. He's playing semifinals in Hong Kong. You know that's near and dear to my heart. Well, I, I saw that one. I circled that one immediately. I mean, I, I knew he was making a little bit of a pro comeback. I didn't know we were going to be traveling all the way to Hong Kong to play the 25K. So uh, he is certainly back and certainly making a a run at this. Yeah, and you filed under things you love to see. No, Gertz can't, comes later. I do have him on my list. Ha ha, I didn't forget him. He just was, my tabs got screwed up. I knew it as it was happening. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave it be because I'm, too tired right now to look through them all. I have the Gertz run seven six in the third. He knocks out Lamassine. Uh, that's a that was a different twenty five k then for what it worth. That's the one in France. One prior okay. was the one in Rwanda in singles. Uh, for those curious, moving on still Gertz uh, semi finalist by the way in uh, in singles. Patrick Harper, Mark Walner, doubles title at a twenty five k this past weekend. Oh, we saw those Tennessee volunteers. We didn't, we didn't miss you, Pat. Uh, so got to give a shout out to the boys, former NCAA doubles champion, obviously Pat Harper. Yeah. I'm curious to see if he'll be able to link up with his partner in that 2021 NCAA run, Adam Walton. Uh, Walton, I know has had more success on the single side of things uh, playing at the challenger level, but it would be really fun to see them uh, do a little reunion. I asked Adam, he said that at the moment it's possible from a rankings perspective, we'll do it. And so, again, that's just the race to see. Another doubles final, Chichi Huang, Yuta Kikuchi. They make that doubles final at a 25K in Japan. So, shout out to those guys. Tyler Stice, we see a Stice semifinals at a 15K in Budapest. I had, oh, figures up. Well, Tyler Stice, fun trivia just to tie this full circle with Ben Shelton. Tyler Stice, the last player. There in college to beat Ben Shelton in singles is Tyler Stice when Florida made their Alabama uh, road trip uh, during the SEC season in 2022. I like to hear. Then I have Patrick Zaraj quarterfinal, Sander Jong quarterfinal, Adrian Oatsbach quarterfinal at that same event as well. It's my list, Jay. What did I miss? 
no, you've got everything. I mentioned the ones that I had as well. So I uh, know you full coverage. You like to go a little deeper than I do in terms of giving some love to, to everyone that you see. So yeah, I think we covered everyone. Spread the love programs wide. Well, I mentioned this earlier, but as we look at the week ahead, it's a big WTA week now. There's Davis Cup on the men's side, so you'll see ties there. But three or two 125K events and two... Uh, I think 250s or maybe San Diego's at 500. I don't remember what San Diego's technically qualifies as. But a lot of college players. I, th- I know Navarro already got a win. Hartono already got a win. Dyschneim knocked out. Everyone's in doubles, so that's still alive. I'm sure we'll have more results there in our final summer edition of this show next week. Am I missing anything? What are you looking at in the week ahead? Yeah, San Diego is a 500. You got Danielle Collins there as well. I expect her to love those courts in San Diego. They're a little bit slower and a slow hard court. I think she enjoys. So uh, that's on the on the pro side. On the challenger side, we're getting the challenger back in the U.S. this week. We got the one in Cary. So a lot of guys uh, in the Cary challenger. You have Pedro Vives of TCU making a nice run there, as well as Garrett Johns of Duke winning their first rounds in the carry challenger. So um, those are the things I'm looking out for this week. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Again, we've got plenty of action across the globe. As always, we'll keep you up to date on all of it as we close our summer editions of the show and we prepare for the start of the 23-24 season. It's our last season before realignment in college tennis as well. It's our last season before fall national championships individually as well. Calm before the storm. One final ride. We're excited for it. Myself, Jay, Chris will have the crew ready to rock and roll as we all look forward to the start of the next college tennis season. Of course, why do we get to look forward to a new podcast every week? It's because of the tireless effort of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a fascinating job to do day in, day out, making everything possible. Shout out to you as well, Jay. You joined me every week of the summer. I'm immensely grateful for it. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? Well, I think we would be remiss not to mention the boys and girls uh, singles results at the U.S. Open. So, Catherine Huey. Good call. uh, Well, and the reason I I bring this up in particular is because I think in a U.S. Open that was so heavily indexed on the pro results in college tennis, the most marked, you know, indication that college tennis is on the rise is what we're seeing at the junior level. Catherine Huey wins the girls singles title. She is the first player since Beth Hur in 1982 to win a uh, junior title and then go and play college. So she will be joining Stanford in the coming days. So really exciting to see that. And of course, you had Lerner Tien, who we saw this past season at USC, make his uh, second Grand Slam final in boys singles. Uh, so a lot of really nice college ties there at the junior event. Can I do one more tangent to wrap the show? Sure. Power rank these four. Blokina, Shu, Yu, Hui. Uh... Huey Blockina Shu Yu. Wow. I'm telling you, Elena Yu screams six singles. Like, put her at six, you're in the ballgame. Look, this is going to be a. This conversation probably won't end until we see the NCAA lineups <laughs> when yeah. who is going to be the. Like, it's going to be go all season, right? Uh, when who is going to be that seventh player at Stanford. 
Yeah, it's going to be a fun one, folks. Maybe, again, them in North Carolina should just play seven, eight deep. Let's have fun uh, if that's our NCAA final. With all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.